You have entered the 13, a place where real stories about music, touring, and the beyond are told. Music does something to us. We all experience it in our own way. It can affect our senses, transport us through time, and release emotions. On this podcast, we will talk with people about the power of music and the beyond. What does the beyond mean? Let's find out together. Turn on your metronomes because this time is about to be tracked. Welcome to the 13. Why do I got to say it like that? I don't know. It's kind of fun though. Anyway, guys, today on the show, we have Mark Ollie. This episode was filmed a couple months ago. It's so much fun. Mark's a musician, an archaeologist, um, an author, and he's hosted a few TV shows. He's on Ancient Aliens. Dude, I mean, come on. This dude is awesome. And he's such a nice person and so fun to talk to. I mean, I don't even know why I'm trying to explain it to you. Let's get into the episode. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to The 13. I'm your host, Ryan 13. And on today's show, we have archaeologist, author, TV show guru, um, musician, Mark Ollie. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure you have way more you know, you could add to that list than just what I said, but oh, that's enough. That's more than enough. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> awesome, man! Thank you so much. So, yeah. you are in a band called Copperworm, who I follow. I am indeed. I am indeed. And uh, what I think you guys just had—you finally just got some physical discs, didn't you? We did. There it is. There, there it, it is. is. That's it. Um, you can avail. It's available on Bandcamp, so you can order it from Bandcamp, or you can just download it. Uh, if you want to be a philistine and you don't want the artwork then <laughs> no that's my favorite but, that's my favorite part is like actually getting the physical album whether it's oh, a CD, yeah. a vinyl yeah. or whatever it's always been my favorite part because you know there's something tangible you have it in your hand you get to read who who you know who the artists thanked like what yeah, what, yeah. what they use what guitars they used or what drums they used you know that's my who favorite did, part who did what where when and how yes yeah, I don't love yeah, that's all, that all in there <laughs> Dude, I love it. That's great. How many tracks are on it? Um, I think there's eleven. Um, let me just have a look. Yes, there's eleven on it. We we recorded fifteen, but out of those, there was something wrong with a couple of them, um, according to the the guy who's in charge of the band. So we we've we've put out the best eleven, uh, and they are the best. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> awesome. Are you guys doing any, yeah. like any touring, or are you just doing weekenders? Or well, uh, there's a few interesting things that have happened actually. Um, up to a point, we were working solely on the album. So all of last year, all of going through this year, we worked solely on touring last year and the album this year. So we, yeah. we got to that point. But then um, there's only three of us in the band. And as you said in the introduction, I've got television career. I've also got you know a writing career. I do all these other things. And one of the other members of the band, who shall remain nameless, also has a very high-pressure job. Okay. So what we've actually done is we're looking at restructuring the band because the guy that plays bass now wants to play guitar. The okay. guy who sings, who plays guitar, doesn't want to play guitar, he wants to sing. I'm getting so busy, it's getting difficult to you know, to tour and to gig and things like that. And I'm in another band as well, yeah. uh, a band called Wolf. So um, they're looking at possibly trying to find another rhythm section, a bass player and a drummer. Because at the end of the day, we're all session players, effectively. Yeah, we've, okay. You know, we've been doing this for years. Um, so I don't know where that's going to go. I, I, you know, it's all new. It's all just happening. You're getting the news as, as it happens. Okay. Um, I mean, I've got a gig with my other band coming up in five weeks' time because we're all very old we've all reached 60 in the same year because we right. we were all we formed in the same high school year so we're doing this the band's called wolf and it's called wolf at 240 because that's okay. the total age of the four members of that band so <laughs> so i'm not stopping playing i'm just trying to make better use of my time um because yeah. there's a there's an awful lot going on at the moment so uh and to be honest with you i mean we 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 generally speaking we we gig and we tour in this country in the autumn so things don't start to pick up till august september anyway so i'm just looking forward to doing loads of stuff over the summer and then we'll see where we stand sort of later in the year uh but musically it's a brilliant album absolutely brilliant um recorded the same way as zeppelin did zeppelin one they did zeppelin one over 36 hours they essentially did it live and then produced 
produced it afterwards. Um, and that's exactly what we've done. We did this in 36 hours. We've gone back to it and produced it and sort of mixed it at a, you know, a later date. And it's got that same kind of feeling, which I'm quite pleased about because I'm an enormous fan of Zeppelin. So, oh, yeah, me too. you know, well, that's great. Uh, I think that's great because you capture that feeling, you know, that, that oh, you do. just that yeah. thing that's happening when, when, when you're yeah. grooving, when you're jamming, when that thing's happening that you don't always get when you go, track by track by track you know no no i mean i i did the majority of the production as well so i can honestly tell you that what you hear is what we played awesome. there's no fancy tricks we've not compressed it to within an inch of its life you know <laughs> we've not we've not sucked all the energy out of it you know all, all the little drag notes on the snare drum and all the little fiddly noises that you get off the strings and yeah. you know his voice is not well, you can tell when you hear it, it's not been, you know, retuned or anything like that. So it is what you hear is what you get. You know, it's it's what we sound like, uh, which I think is, a, a, you know, it's a bold move. It's a brave move for, for the 21st century. Most people yeah. just rely on technology. The uh, <laughs> So there's this band King's X that I used to work for, and they just recorded a new album and they did it all analog. So, I mean, of course, everything yeah. has to go digital at the end. Yeah. You know, but like they yeah. recorded everything in the room and a lot of their fans were like, I don't know if I like this. And I'm listening to it going, this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard because it sounds real. Yeah. And well, this is a, this is analog as well. Yeah. yeah. See, and that's that's why like like that's why I love it. I love that because you're getting the real sound. But everyone's so used to hearing, like you said, compressed within an inch of its life. Yeah, it's been yeah. digitized. People are using auto tune when the new. That's it. When Metallica came out with Death Magnetic in 2008, they made that album. They squished it so you could mm. hear it in your headphones, you know, and yeah. which was fine. It sounded great in your earbuds, but when you put it on the car in the car, you, you uh, I don't know about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Now this is this is one of those albums where you've got to have your CD player or you've got to have your digital source connected to real speakers. So when you crank the volume up, it moves the air. You know, yes. get get the bass hitting you in the middle of the chest. You know, it. it's got that bass drum effect there that will you'll feel it in your heart if you if you turn it up. Um, yeah. so it's yes it's a proper album it's what what you and i call a proper album oh, i can't wait to i can't wait to check it out i i went and saw speaking of bass moving moving the hair on mm. your arms i went and saw a band called stabbing westward the other day like literally not last weekend but the weekend before and they had a bass drop the drummer had a bass drop you know oh, attached yeah. and it was the deepest one i've ever heard or felt oh, the club gosh. was so small but like literally my hair like blew back every time he hit it it was and it was fantastic. You know, it was a cool experience. You've got to be careful because in the early days when they tried doing things like that, I remember it at festivals. If you went below a so certain dB and you were a little bit too close to the bass speakers, it, it caused a bowel movement. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> you know, the first twenty or thirty rows all went all at the same time. And it, not good. <laughs> you know, dude, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, that's I think it great. might even have been it might have been Motorhead that found that out actually from I'm, experience thinking about it. But, yeah. I, I, I saw Motorhead <laughs> one time live. And I went with uh, oh. the lead singer of King's X, Doug Pinnock, took me. Uh. We show up to the sh to the gig. I've been to plenty of shows with this guy. He hands me a pair of earplugs. I'm like, oh. what are these for? He goes, you're going to need them. Oh, yeah. And I needed them. I couldn't hear. <laughs> Motorhead was so loud. I Well, there's Lemmy in the background. Well, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. was so, so loud. I couldn't hear them until I put yeah, it's every, everything louder than everything else. That's that's yeah. the principle. I mean, a mate of mine's a sound engineer and he did front of house for them and he, he had to pack it in. He could only stand it for so long as he was going deaf, Yeah, you know, and, and that's through ear defenders as well. You know, they're just so loud, you know, it was affecting they, his hearing. They brought in what they played a, a place called the engine room. that's no longer here in Houston, but the, the, the PA wasn't enough for them. They, the, <laughs> the one that was exist and it was a big, it was a huge PA. They brought in like $15,000 worth of PA. You know, they rented it from some local place. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I played a couple of gigs where we've ended up using two of the bass cabs as the drum riser. So oh, I'll wow. give you some, some idea of how big things have been. And then I can feel it. Then I don't, I don't need the bass in the monitoring. I can so feel like, it coming through. Or like the Ampegs, <laughs> like the one behind me. Uh, no, no, you're talking about proper big, like outdoor PA, oh, you know, the, the fluted ones that are oh, rectangular yeah, yeah. and they oh, have God. like casters on the back. So you have to tip them up and roll them and you can sit in them and 
play you know speaker racing down the ramps in them if you want right. to if you're feeling so so um inclined oh but we had two of those i mean they're about i don't know seven seven foot long by about three or four foot deep wow. and we had two and i i was sat on top of those which funnily enough was a band back in the 1970s and 80s with the guitarist who's in copper worms so okay. you know <laughs> we right go on. we go back a long way yeah, that's awesome dude <laughs> this is so cool I'm so glad uh, you, I'm so glad you came on. So everybody who's listening, Mark and me have met a couple of times through uh, my buddy Brandon Thomas over on Expanding Reality. Yeah. Uh, you've been a guest over at Expanding Reality quite a few times. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I was listening to some of them yesterday. I'd already heard the the one about the Crystal Skulls, but I wanted to re-listen to it because we were going to talk today. So, man, there's yeah. some fascinating stuff going on in in your books. So let's get to your books. You got a new one, okay? And the new one is called and. I've heard everybody mispronounce it so much that I'm afraid <laughs> I'm going to mispronounce it, but I've heard Go you on, say it. You know, you can do it. You can do I it. Know Go it. On. <laughs> the Polychronicon of Merlin, yes! Joseph, and Arthur. That's it. Yes. I've heard, yes. heard you say it. So I was like, okay, Ryan, just don't mess that one up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those English language things where you break it into three. It's polychronicon. It's dead easy when you do it that way. It really, actually, honestly. <laughs> it, I mean, it may, when I read it, I said it out loud the way that... Uh-huh that yeah. it's said the, the way that it's supposed to be said. But then after I heard people mispronounce it, I, was, I got kind of worried. <laughs> well, it is a medieval term. All, all, it, all it means at the end of the day, it means a chronological history. It just means whatever history is yeah. in the book, it's running in chronological order. It's it's written diary style, diary fashion. You'll be referring to that one. There, there it is. is. Polychronicon, uh, Merlin, Joseph and Arthur. I think you can see that. Yeah, it looks great. Uh, well, well, this is, is this thing? is a hardback, so it's, yeah. it's actually slightly, slightly bigger than the, uh, the one I normally hold up. And well, can you get that one on Amazon too? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, what we've been saying to people, actually, the publisher will probably shoot me for this, but we don't make as much money on the hardbacks as we do on the paperbacks. Okay. But, and this is the but, if you want to buy this as a gift to someone, the hardback is the sexiest book you've ever seen. Nice. You know, it's you've got to get it in hardback. It's only about a fiver difference in English currency. It's about 25 quid, I think with delivery when it's paperback but it's 30 when it's hardback so yeah. it's neg- negligible it's worth it. it's worth doing the hardback Absolutely. if you can uh, you know and uh, also there's a little bit of space top and bottom for notes so if you wanted oh, cool. to you know develop it and use it as a as a working thing uh, but it's just great yeah that's the publisher was uh, he was wasn't sure about putting King Arthur out because Philip is uh, Philip Mantle's flying dispress, so it's right. all flying saucers and UFOs, you know. Right. And I was like, oh, I don't, I'm not so sure about this. But eventually, we we all kind of ganged up on him and talked him into having a go, <laughs> and he's done it. And I remember the day that he got his sample copy and he sent me an email. And he just went, oh, "This is the sexiest book I've ever seen." <laughs> he said, "This is brilliant." He said, "It's the best one I've ever produced. It's absolutely gorgeous." So I, I think he's converted now. He doesn't very often get excited by the way that's uh totally uncommon for him you know so uh, yeah that's awesome yeah that's cool so he, so what, he loves it that's great the i was listening to uh you know other podcasts so i'm definitely going to rip off some other podcasts here and ask some of the same yeah. questions because they were great but like w- one of the ones i was listening to yesterday was talking about merlin and you're and it's a title not it is indeed yeah not, a, not it's a person but it's a title of a person not yeah not, there's not it, it, one it's Merlin. it's not one person uh if you study the welsh arthurian material you discover that the first merlin is merlin taliesin now a lot of people know about the poem poet taliesin he's internationally famous as a welsh poet but he's given the title merlin he's alive in the early 400s um, then you get another one, Merlin Ambrosius. Well, Merlin Ambrosius then is obviously the next most prominent kind of religious, political, military, whatever leader to follow on from um, uh, from the first Merlin. Then Merlin Ambrosius is actually the uh, elder brother of Uther Pendragon. So oh. Arthur's dad's brother, if you like, Arthur's uncle, is is one of the Merlins. The next Merlin then is a guy called Merlin Lelogan, which means dear friend or little fr- friend in, in Welsh. Um, and he's the guy who you always see as the old man with the beard okay. because he lives right through Arthur's life, right up to Arthur going to war. And he's about 102, 103 when he dies. Um, so he's the one that everybody wow. associates as being you know, Merlin the Magician or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then he makes it through to the Battle of Baden, where, you know, Arthur's victorious. And he thinks, right, that's it. We've sorted it. We've brought back Roman Britain, you know, and then he dies. And then there's another Merlin. You get Merlin Willet, Merlin the Mad. 
And Merlin the Mad goes mad because he sees the decline of Arthur and he sees Arthur getting, you know, killed at the Battle of Camlan. And then he lives on into his 80s, this second Merlin, um, and sees actually that the Welsh take up, up arms against each other, turns into a civil war and they lose to the Saxons. Um, and then the very last Merlin is uh, Merlin Tertugan. He's up in Cumbria and he's heading towards 600 AD. Um, and there's one, this one guy in Cumbria, then there might be, there might just be like another one up in Scotland or another one in Ireland. That's it. Round about 600, the, the title dies out because of the Saxons. So you've got kind of, you know, 200 years with about, you know, three or four Merlins per every hundred years, which is which is about right. But they're all listed in the book, you know, um, oh, yeah, with so, source so material. Cool. But yeah, yeah, there's more than one of them. It's a title. I'd never, so, ever, uh, I'd never, ever thought about that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it totally makes sense. I mean, and yeah. I was talking to my wife about it last night. I brought it up to my wife and it, we were like making dinner and she'd like, like just stopped and looked at me. She's like, it's a title. I was like, yeah, there's more than yeah. one. She's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, you've got to get the book. I mean, if you I like stuff wait. like I'm that, to, yeah. oh, there's, there's so much stuff in there. Uh, it, it's, I think the reason the publishers have hesitated to put it out, because it's taken a long time. It's took about five years, six years to get it into print is that it has got a lot of extremely radical stuff in it. That's kind of, you know, it, it changes things. It keeps some of the tradition, but it changes the way that things are. Uh, and that made a lot of publishers hesitate, you know, uh, one guy actually said, oh, it's more than my career's worth to publish this. Um, <laughs> but he was based in London and he was all into his Glastonbury and his Tintagel Castle and all that nonsense. Oh, yeah. And that's all fake. I mean, I pretty well do away with that in the first few pages of the book, you know. Um, and then you get stuck into the real gritty stuff. And that's that's what people want, I think. I think you're right. I think that's one of the things that I'm noticing about the tone of a lot of your books. I've been listening to uh, the way people talk about it and the way that you talk about it. So like mm. in the, the Crystal Skulls and Human Heads one, like you'd say something very similar, like, well, you know, pretty much in the beginning, I dismiss all this stuff and you find out right away that, um, yeah, that, uh, I think it's, it's evolution in that case. Evolution, I think, I yeah, think yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I sort that one out fairly quickly. Yeah. You get rid uh, of that right quick. No more, yeah. dar you know, by Darwin, yeah. you know? sink the big bang, sink evolution, get yeah. rid of all the nonsense, you know, all the, uh, the stuff that they put out there that's rubbish and then get into the real mysteries get stuck into the nitty gritty because yeah. I mean, I, I've, what I've discovered with all the books I've written is that the truth, the truth is better. It's always better than whatever fantasy or fiction or theory or other yeah. ideas are bolted on, you know, um, I mean, the truth just rocks absolutely when you get into it and, and, and it makes sense, you know, um, you know, the idea of, for example, a woodpecker evolving, you know, so some bird climbs up a tree and goes, <laughs> and, you know, it's dead. It's dead immediately yeah. because it's just hit the tree at 160 miles an hour and its brain's yeah. gone, you know, yeah. no opportunity to evolve. It's nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. And you've got so many examples, there's thousands of examples like that, uh, where that theory doesn't work. I mean, Darwin didn't say evolution he actually called it the theory of modification the idea that species adapt to their environment which is fine you know i don't have a problem with that at all of course things change to accommodate their environment but you don't have like a monkey turning into a bloke you know dna has sunk that completely that just yeah. doesn't happen you know uh yeah it just doesn't happen <laughs> Dude, that's awesome i you know so when i was sitting there on uh the sh a couple of our shows that we've done with brandon i was sitting there I'm like why does mark look so familiar to me he sounds familiar to me i can't i couldn't figure it out and then yesterday on my way home uh while i was researching for this i saw uh on youtube lost treasures and i yeah. know i know for a fact i've seen that on the internet like over the last 10 15 years plenty of times i was like Holy crap, that's where I know him from, you know, so that, <laughs> yeah, and that was a great show. Yeah, we did it. We did it for ITV Granada over here, which is okay. a sort of regional TV. Um, we did really good. We did 22 episodes over five years, and then we did a couple of specials for Sky and Sky History Channel said, oh, go on, then we'll take a couple of the series. So series one and series two, they took those two and they got broadcast all over the world. You know, yeah. they went everywhere. So it went from this tiny little regional northwest Britain show. It just suddenly went bob you know, and uh, it was fabulous. You know, it was great. We got Nightwish doing the theme tune, which was, was a yeah. major coup. Yeah. Uh, came off the album once, which is their best album. Actually, there's a little story there as well, going back to the music business, because um, we liked the album. We really loved the album. We said, uh, we want to use a couple of the tracks off it. Can you send us an instrumental version? So we got this, you know, disc ripped from the master that came in the post silver cd with nothing on it at all 
Uh, and then we use that on the series and all the rest of it. Next minute, by the time the series is over, they've actually put the album out as an instrumental album. Oh, so wow. they must have seen they must have seen the same thing that we saw. You know, they they listened to the musical content and thought, now this is this is good enough on its own. Let's just yeah. put the music out. So it became a limited edition instrumental release, and they've done that a few times with a few of the wow. different albums. But I think we started it because we needed a you know a version for the titles and a version behind the series. Oh yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah. So that I yeah, showed, you will have seen I showed it Brandon. <laughs> yeah. So after after that, I called Brandon immediately, and I said, Brandon, check this out. Look this up. And he's like, he looks it up, and he's like, he goes, dude, listen to that. But one of the things was he's like, listen to that music. I was like, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. It was. Uh, I mean, it was very cutting edge. A lot of archaeologists now on TV shows, if you see them, uh, I think it's the ladies as well do it quite a lot now. They're dressed in black. And they dye their hair like goths and they have piercing and tats and all this, that and the other. Well, up to the point where we did Lost Treasures, it was all very BBC. You know, they all look yeah. like David Attenborough, or, you know, right. going out for tea and scones on a Sunday afternoon. That was kind of the way that they all did it. All they all had white hair and stripy jumpers. Um, and, and we just blew that out of the water completely because I, I designed the, the the man in black costume, okay. which for all the world looks like Odin. You know, he's got a big black hat and it's yeah. dark glasses and black coat to the floor. And, and it became a real thing. We had three different costumes designed for the each one for each series. Um, awesome. and, and that just changed everything. I mean, we, we did so much. The first um, animation as well of where you have somebody, a real person, walking into an old photograph, you know, and the old photograph starts to move. All that kind of trickery was cutting edge. We, we did all that back then. You know, we rebuilt the entire of Roman Chester and, you know, had a fly through going on computer. And it wow. was um, basically what we said was we said, we know it's a regional story, you know, history show. But let's approach it like a movie. You know, yeah. big, big costumes, big sets, big set pieces, you know, battles and, you know, all the stuff when you're a kid, you know, when you're reading history books and you think, oh, you know, I wish I'd been there to see these cannons or, you know, yeah. pirates or whatever else. So we, we we put that in the series and it does run like a movie, you know. Oh, dude, it's they're fantastic. <laughs> you know, and like I love the love like the outfit, like all the way down to uh, the boots. Oh, know? yeah. Like, new rocks. Yeah, we yeah. had new rocks. The, uh, I think it was I went, a series series three. I actually changed to biker boots because we couldn't get new rocks in red. We needed oh. them in red and black. <laughs> and then blow me a couple of years after we'd finished filming, they brought out new rocks in red and black. Of course. So we're like, ah. <laughs> I went the when I was in uh, where was I? I was in London. So uh, they went down to Camden Market or whatever, and that's where like all the goths were. And this is two thousand nine, but like. Mm all the goths were on were out there and you go and walked into a store and they had all my favorite boots but i couldn't afford a single oh. one of them, a pair of them you know i was like oh man yeah they were, i mean great. season two the big ones that i wear in season two they were only made for six months and they they cost a lot of money but uh when it's a television company paying for them you know who yeah. cares you know who cares? On, on the go you know it was a great series as well for um, engaging people when you mentioned goths and what have you, because um, we used to get emails, people used to email us, and you'd get the usual collection of local history buffs emailing in going, you know, fantastic, you know, you've covered this, you've covered that. And then I got this other weird email coming in from a, a housing estate somewhere up, up, further up north, and apparently all the teenagers, the goths, were getting together when the show was being broadcast to watch the show. They were oh, wow. just teenagers, you know. We'd 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 hit that kind of age bracket without realizing that that's what it was going to do. So we engaged a whole generation of teenagers as well. You know, there's some archaeologists out there now digging digging in this country who were inspired by that program back in 2005, 2007, 2008. You know, man, that's awesome. It makes, yeah, me, I, feel, I, makes, I, makes see, me feel old. <laughs> uh, that's like this is the type those are you know that show and shows like it are the type of shows that i've just always gravitated towards i love stuff like that so anytime you know you got you yeah. had me you had me you know with the with the intro i was like okay what's going on you know like, oh, I can't yeah wait straight away bum yeah and you know I mean, it's, come, new... it's come i was gonna say it's come full circle because um you know the last time that was shown i think was 2010 or 2011 okay but this year now, I'm on season 19 of Ancient Aliens. I was just about to bring that up. Man. Yeah, there you go. So cool. Seamlessly, seamlessly, we we flow into that. So That's it's come right. full circle now. I'm I'm now the old professor with the jacket on, you know, and I'm sort of the respectable side of archaeology, and and I'm on that, you know. 
uh, it's quite funny because uh, you know Giorgio's there going, well, you know, I'm not saying it, it's aliens, but right. it could be, or you know, right. it is aliens, or whatever. And I'm sat there going, I'm not saying it's aliens, but actually, I don't think it is. I think it's <laughs> us. So it's like that kind of, you know, they like that tension in a program. Uh, so oh, it'd yeah, be nice. It'd be nice to do a few more. It was loads of fun. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I can't wait to see the ones you've done. When uh, is season nineteen already out, or is it coming out? Or uh, well, I've noticed. If you stick strictly to the broadcaster that, you know, Sky, the one that actually commissions it, it's on Sky now. So it's not devolved to any other channels. Okay. I'm on the one for Obelisks. I'm on the one for Crop Circles. I'm on the one for Cosmic Impacts. And then I think I'm on another one. Uh, but I can't remember what the other one was. Um, so I think I'm on four out of however many they've done. Because they never, they never tell you exactly how many they're going to do. They just do whatever they've got. Yeah. Um, but it's not gone on to repeat yet so okay. i've not seen it on the history channel i've not seen it on blaze i've not seen it on quest or any of the other channels yet but it will it'll devolve you know i mean over oh, here yeah. i think we're still on season 17 over here so yeah you know we're playing catch up sure. um but yeah i'm definitely awesome. on i'm definitely on them okay, cool i can't <laughs> wait to go check that out the the um one of the things i was going to say was uh doug from king's x again he met giorgio once in la and uh, he just said he was just the super nice guy and super fascinating and oh yeah, like, like had really cool hair and you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, it was funny because I was doing a, a conference over here um, at Blackpool, this uh, um, Awakening Expo, and it was Giorgio and Eric were sort of two of the feature speakers, and uh, it actually came about because I was sat next to Eric. Um, okay. so you can imagine you, you sort of backstage as it were, and you stuffing your face with butties, you know, from the buffet right. at half time. Yeah. Um, and by default, I ended up sitting next to Eric. Now, everybody knew that I was an archaeologist and everybody knows what Eric's all about. So right. I'm sure somebody did it on purpose to see what would happen, you know? So I thought, well, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to break the ice here somewhere, you know? So I kind of leaned over to Eric and I, I just said to Eric, I, I said, my dad inspired me as to, to go out and do archaeology and i said he had your book chariot of the gods on his bookshelf and i, I said uh, we all read it when we were training in archaeology and you know we don't always necessarily agree with everything that's in it i said but you got us all to look at things a different way yeah. i said the main thrust of that book got us all to question things right. anyway er eric puts his sandwich down and he looks at me and he just goes there are 267 question marks in that book. <laughs> and then he went back to eating his sandwich again. <laughs> and that was it. I thought, brilliant. Yeah. Fabulous. That's all, you know, that's all he needed we, to say. We're on the same page. You know, we're on exactly the same page. So that's all he's doing it for. He's just trying to get people to think. So that's brilliant. Awesome. Absolutely. What a guy. And then, then, of course, I got chatting to Giorgio and, and his partner. And, and he said, well, yeah, you know, we've got a lot in common here. It'd be nice to, to get you on the show sort of thing. Uh, but I am the odd one out. I mean, there's all the, you know, Graham Phillips, Andrew Collins, all all the kind of, all the big, massive authors that have really put out, you know, huge amounts of books over a long period of time. And there's little old me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, I'm, the I'm just the archaeologist. Yeah, I'm the just archaeologist. the archaeologist. But how many, how many books do you have out now? Like, well, uh, with, the, with the one that's coming up, there's one coming up um, in August which is the Europe's Roswell book, that will make nine. Nice. But you've got to bear in mind that the Arthur one took 40-odd years to write. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not – I don't put out fast output. I do an average of about a book every two or three years. Uh, I only started in the 1990s. But in the, in the gap, if you like, there's also six DVDs yeah. plus an entire TV series. Right. So, and anything else that I put out in terms of musical output, you know, um, and producing stuff, because I'm credited as producer on quite a few albums, There's about five or six albums that I do producer on. Um, so, you know, it's just, uh, there's a lot of output. It's just not all books. Yeah. Oh, no, I totally get it. <laughs> I was, I was in a band. I don't know how it's like, I don't know how people, I haven't been fortunate enough yet to figure out how to, um, manage my time wisely so i uh, you know like i have i have a regular job i used to be in i was in a band for uh, 12 years or something a, a professional band a band that made yeah. money um, yeah because i've been in plenty of other bands that made no money <laughs> but, yeah um, me too <laughs> uh, yeah so you you get it so but like i had to i had to drop the band to do the job and i still play music i still got all my guitars and basses and mm. stuff i'm a bass player by the way so you know, we're, we're together. Rhythm, rhythm, yeah, rhythm. section. And, um, 
but like, you know, long story short, it's like, it's been, it's, it's hard finding that balance. So I like, how do you find balance with going from doing a TV show to writing a book to doing copper worm or a band, or is it just kind of naturally flow? How does it work? I suppose I cheat uh, okay. a little um, <laughs> because I am more than the sum of my parts. I mean, I started off when I left, well, before I left school, I had my own music production company called Angel Heart Music. Uh, and that developed into a limited company called Legend Think Limited, which was a multimedia company. Um, and I was managing director, ran that for five years. That went very well. And then we started an entertainment agency called Unicorn Entertainments. That ran actually in all for about 15, 20 years. Um, so I've got all of that industry background as well. Okay. So I'm actually trained professionally in how to run a calendar, okay. you know. <laughs> so you it go. looks, it does look like I'm just bumbling through this like a complete idiot. But that's that's kind of the way I like things to to appear. But behind the scenes, there are you know cogs turning. And everything does have a time and a season and it kind of rolls along. So there are different levels of plans. Like obviously, sure. the King Arthur book was a long-term plan. I mean, I made a cine film for a cine society back in 1977 based on that okay. called King Arthur Seasons of the Mind. That triggered it off. Well, we worked out the other day. I mean, it's seen off goodness knows how many notebooks. It's seen off seven laptops. It's seen off Amstrad computers, Word computers. Yeah. You know, uh, towers have disappeared under it. You know, all different. It's just worked its way through every possible conceivable media to arrive where it is now. Nice. Uh, but the spin-off from that, which, you know, nobody really knows, is there is actually a television series written already based on that book so it's a five-part series which i might go and chat to somebody about soon uh and there's a movie script there's a 163 page movie script uh took three years to write that's a spin-off as well from it um and that went to some big producers um and it got some very very good reviews that script because when you create a script in 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 movie parlance it's referred to as a as a a property so when the script exists in its official form you've created a property um, and we have that we have that for Arthur that exists. So one day it might get made. I hope so. That would be awesome. <laughs> I love stuff yeah. about King Arthur and I especially love stuff like where you're going down like the real rabbit hole, you know, versus like the legends and all this stuff. You're like, let's yeah. find this like this. Yeah. That's so much cooler. Well, that, that's what the documentary would be aiming at, I think, um, because we would I'd want to go around and actually visit sites you know, do yeah. real archaeology, bring in technology and go search for things, you know. It's kind of the curse of Oak Island, but set in North Wales, you know, that's kind of where it's going. Um, that's how I'd like Oak it to Island. be. <laughs> that's made by Prometheus as well. They do they do that as before, well. Before that TV show started, I'd already, I've been a privy, I mean, and sure, you obviously you were too privy to what's been going on at Oak Island for my, feels like my whole life. Like yeah. that's a, that's a, and you know, they're so good at making that TV show that I'm sitting there watching it. And every time I'm like, oh, they find just enough. Yeah. To keep, oh, well, <laughs> I'm, I'll be back next season, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. What have we got this year? We've got a nail and we've got a piece of wood and something <laughs> that looks like a coin. That's See right. you next time. That's right. <laughs> All right. And that, and that's the whole season. See you next. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the yeah. season's short because you know, they, it winter shows up really fast yeah. over there so yeah that's I, that's mm-hmm. a whole crazy thing when i first heard about that and like the money pit when like so, like the one guy died and then somebody went after him to go try to like save him and it was like h2s gas which i work yeah. around a lot which is super deadly yeah like that's like one of the things they train us in is to like if you're if you see your buddy go down and your h2s meters going off don't go after him yeah run you know? yeah <laughs> yeah get out of there yeah yeah. It's crazy. Anyway, Oak Island, man. So what else, what do you what do you know about Oak Island? You know, um, well, I mean, uh, years ago, I studied a lot of mystery books. You know, yeah. um, we, we had a lot of them issued over here. We had Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World. We had all sorts oh, cool. of things going on, you know, on, on TV and stuff. And yeah. uh, I kind of studied it then. So I was aware of the basic story of the pit and yeah. how they tried to get in there. And then the seawater came in and you know, like you say, the people who've died, I think at that point, five, pe- five people have died. And yeah. I think the threat is that eventually there'll be seven. I think now they're up to six. So everybody's yeah. holding the breath, you know. So that's another one of those. Ooh, yeah, it's going to take know, seven to, to, to get rid of the curse. 
That's the one, the Curse of Oak Island. So, yeah. And uh, I mean, now the, the series that they're doing now is a brilliant one because they, they're dating things. You know, they've got yeah. medieval remains. They've got earlier remains. They've got what looks like a ship in the swamp. You know, they've yeah. got uh, various tunnels, you know, and bits of footage of things that they've drilled into and filmed. And, you know, it's it's if you actually took the whole series as a whole, then they're definitely, you know, cracking the mystery. They're getting, they're getting yeah. in there. It's just a shame in the past people made such a mess of the money pit, you know, they were oh, digging yeah. everywhere trying to get the stuff up and they just ruined it. So, oh, yeah. you know, it's just making it so difficult now to sort out what's going on. Yeah. People just came in there with bulldozers and just destroyed. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. They just dug, yeah. you know, wherever in the hope that they would get past the traps, you know, but it doesn't work like that. You know, water finds its own level. So if you dig another hole somewhere else, it'll still fill up with water. You know, do you so think uh, do you think it's possible that like, the maybe Oak Island was used for treasure and then they made all these traps, made all this stuff. And then somebody came and either already got it or somebody came and said, Nope, like the Knights Templar or something showed up and like, no, we got to move this. Like <laughs> this is too obvious. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't say it was too obvious. I th I'm, I'm with you on the fact that I think it's definitely a treasure site. There's no doubt yeah. about that. The whole Island has been used for you know, possibly back as far as the Vikings or even earlier, you know, it's right. been used for, as a, as a port of call. So it contains treasure, yeah. but whether it's like boxes of gold doubloons, you know, and pirate stuff and all this, I, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about the Templar side of it. And I'm fairly convinced that there's nothing biblical on there. They're not going to suddenly drop into a chamber and voila, there's the Ark of the Covenant, you know, right. like Indiana Jones. Like Indiana I don't, Jones, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't there's think gonna gonna find that. there's not going to be a knight sitting there waiting for you to choose. <laughs> Like, <laughs> no, oh. choose the right cop. Choose yeah. wisely. You know? Choose yeah. wisely. And it, yeah. he was a carpenter. <laughs> That's it. It's the cup of a carpenter. <laughs> yeah, it was a great. That was a great. I mean, that was great. You know, that gave me all the feel, the feels. I felt all the feelings there. I was like, "That's awesome, dude. This is so great. This has been great talking with you, mm -hmm. man. I really appreciate you coming on. That's um, a pleasure. So, one of the things I wanted to talk about because I just learned about it yesterday was revealing the green man. Oh, now you're going back a bit. Yes, I'm there are. Yeah, the, the books come in blocks of three. So okay. the first three were the Celtic Warrington and Other Mysteries, which are the regional uh, books, if you like, for this okay. area. That's what sparked off Lost Treasures as a TV okay. series. Awesome. Um, and there's a fourth one of those, which I can't do because the publisher passed away. But there is a fourth oh. one in that series, which will come out eventually. The second block of three is uh, the disappearing ninth legion the life and times of the real robin hood yeah and, that's one of the ones i was going to ask yeah you. revealing the green man that's okay. the second block uh, and that was done for a london publisher called john hunt publishing so uh, it's it's one of my slight they're only slightly older they're early 2000s uh, that green man one was, was fabulous i mean i was going around doing it as a talk for for years probably 10 years or more and doing it as a slide presentation and i'd, I'd managed to get the green man all the way back to its origins to where the whole cult of the green man began and then i managed to get it back even further i got it all the way back to babylon um oh, wow. so it made sense to make a book out of it which the publisher basically contacted me and said you know we're hearing good things about this do you fancy tackling the green man um and i had another friend who's an artist so he did a lot of the artwork for that book um including the cover Oh, cool. um anthony potts his name is so i'll give him a name check he's he's one of the most amazing uh digital sort of gothic pagan artists uh, he comes up with some incredible stuff unfortunately we couldn't put the images in in color i wish we could have done oh, yeah. um because the color images apart from the cover uh were uh, stunning but anyway yeah we did that and it's 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 the way I wrote it, I, I thought, well, archaeology books, usually you get bogged down with an archaeology book. Usually you end up, right. you know, trying to wait for the punchline and that. So I went the opposite way and it rattles through. It goes through a, a million miles an hour. It's a real punchy, fast, you know, uh, there's, there's like, you know, the, the kind of the brain lights up every page. There's like okay. a reveal or there's a bright moment, you know, all the way through the book. Um, and it's been on the bestsellers in, you know, on Amazon for quite a while. So awesome. it's doing all right. It is. It's a good book. When um, you go through, when you go through and you start the writing process for anything, like, because like I've written a, a book, I've written books, but I've never published them or anything. I, but, and I, and it, and it's always taken me years and, you yeah, know, it's just yeah. kind of a, kind of something to do but like what when you're going through the writing process what you know how how do you get 
inspired first of all like and then how do you stay on course I'll I'll tell I'll tell you what I'll give you I'll give you a couple of stories because okay. it's it's not um it definitely isn't a one size fits all it doesn't okay. work like that uh, the first three books the Celtic Warrington ones I was professional I was professional in the music business for twenty one years and eventually um, physically it just took a toll on my body because yeah. I started playing drums when I was three. So okay. by the time I was 34, my spine finally started to give out. So I, I was incapacitated, couldn't do anything, um, you know, stuck in bed, couldn't go anywhere, couldn't play. And I'd, I'd literally, I'd just come off tour. So, you know, it was like 100 million miles an hour, you know, we're going flat yeah. out. And then all of a sudden, nothing, stop. dead yeah. stop. So I thought, what can I do? So I thought, oh, do you know what? I've had it in mind to do something with archaeology for ages. So I'll have a go at a local history book. So I just, I wrote the first book for fun. I'm okay, stuck yeah. in bed with nothing else to do. So I just wrote it for fun. And then another friend of mine who did local history, a, a, an older chap saw it and he said, my publisher would love that. You've got to get that into print. Well, by the time it reached the publisher, I'd already written number two and number three was on the way. Oh, and wow. I'd got a pretty good idea of where number four was going to go. Um, so that one, if you like, the first three books were written because of illness. The next books, the next three, um, the first one, The Disappearing Ninth Legion, was a, actually a reworking of a tiny book that a friend of mine had written. He'd done about six, 7,000 pages, okay. uh, which is why it's credited to me and to John Aspin, because he was an older friend of mine. He'd done this book on the Ninth Legion as a guidebook to York. And I just said to him, I said, look, there's more to this. There's so yeah. much more, you know, there's ghosts, there's archaeology, there's, you know, in fact, we've just finished doing it as a DVD. It's going to come out as a release fairly soon, nice. uh, which is awesome. It's a brilliant thing. So that, that'll be DVD number six. Um, but it's an amazing story. So that was inspired by somebody else's booklet, you know. Yeah. Um, then Robin Hood was just, uh, there was a producer friend of mine and he said, um, you know, do you want to do a documentary on Robin Hood? So I'm like, well, we'll have to write it before we film it. Yeah, That's where that book came from. Okay. Green Man was a request from a publisher. Like I say, he actually contacted me and said, you know, have you thought of doing this? And I was like, well, I have now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, then the, uh, funnily enough, the um, Crystal Skulls and Human Heads was another request, but it came around as an email because after lockdown, the my original publisher, John Hunt, sent this circular around saying, look, end of the world, cataclysmic, pandemic, you know, destruction, death yeah. and chaos, write me some books that will sell, you know, do me some books on this subject that will sell. So I thought, okay, I'll do Crystal Skulls of Human Heads because it's all about the extinction of different human races in the past. Anyway, I sent it to him and then he sent me this message back and he said, uh, I don't really get this book. <laughs> I'm like, but it's about human extinction. Yeah, you know, po post pandemic, how how can it not? You know, anyway, just he just didn't get it at all. So I approached Philip uh, with it, and Philip said, "Yeah, I love that. That's pretty good. I like the I like the look of that. You know, crystal skulls, stretched alien type heads. You know, there's even a, a last chapter on aliens I've thrown in, just his his cup of tea." So I said, "Yep, yeah, I love that." Then, like yeah. I said, the next one, the Arthur one, was like everyone ganging up on him and bullying him to to put that out because, <laughs> uh, you know, it's been sat there in, in on one form or another for the last 40-odd years, 45 years. So that's a long-term, you know, I've got another one like that, by the way. I've got a biblical one that I'm oh, working cool. on that impacts on the beliefs of the Gnostics and the Templars. Ooh. And I've got loads of stuff to do with the Templars, just so much stuff. I just want to blow that one wide open. So that's coming. Cool. Uh, and uh, that's been I around. That. Oh, that's been around a long time. That's been there as long as the Arthur book. And then the last one, the final one, um, I did the documentary, uh, Europe's Roswell, on this UFO yeah. crash back in 2008. Um, and, of course, good old Philip spotted it's 40 years since the crash. So then he literally contacted me and said, right, you know, we've we've done one on archaeo science. We've done one on King Arthur. Don't you think you could do one on flying saucers for me? <laughs> Please. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is what I publish. Please do one on flying saucers. So I'm like, all right, then go on. I think I will. So that's coming up. So we've, we've got that's that coming up before so August, hopefully. Europe's, Europe's Roswell. That So that crash happened in... 83 yes it did yeah and that's i know because the, that's the year i was born hey <laughs> so i'm 40 yeah all right um <laughs> the uh but so tell me tell me a little can, just give me a little sneak peek of what happened in uh europe's Roswell. 
Okay, uh, well, go on better than that. I mean, the documentary apparently is still knocking around. You can find it. So if you look up Europe's Roswell, it's online. You can actually watch okay. that. Um, it was reality films in the USA that put that one out. So um, it's out there. You can go and find it. But the gist of it is basically that some kind of flying craft hit a load of trees and cut this big channel out that was 25 foot wide. So we know roughly how big this vehicle was. And then it smashed like an egg. And all the pieces scattered over four fields. Now, oh, in wow. Wales, that's that's pretty big. That's a lot of material to scatter yeah. over four fields. Yeah. But when the farmer got up the next day and he found all this stuff, whatever it was that had uh, hit the trees had flown off. Yeah. So he's he's kind of he's looking at all this debris, thinking, you know, where was it? Where's it come from? What's it off? So he phones the local air force base. Next minute. You've got RAF, you know, MOD right. cleanup operation going, and they just turn up and clear everything. But but the crux of the matter for me was there's a, another friend of mine called Gary Rowe, who's a UFO investigator, who this farmer also contacted and brought in. Um, and he brought in his investigation team, and they thought, I bet they've not had a look in the woods. I bet they've not cleared all the debris out of the woods. Yeah. And he managed to get six pieces of this UFO debris out of the woods. So it was quite funny doing the documentary because we started at the end. Yeah. We'd already got these bits of UFO stuff, right. you know, which okay. which is, it's like the holy grail of UFOs, you know. Yeah, hey, right. we've got a piece of this one, um, you know, and, and then we had to work backwards and try and find out where it had come from and found out what had happened and, and all the rest wow. of it, which is the crux of the documentary. The documentary is, is mostly covering the pieces, the fragments okay. towards the end. But uh, again, the book's going to be the same. It's going to be very show and tell, and it's going to have all the content that, that the documentary had, plus a lot of extra bits that we picked up um, and how the documentary was done and a lot of other stories. There's a couple of my own stories in there, uh, but mostly you get to see the debris. There's lots of photographs oh, yes, in the book of cool. the debris. So, I mean, it, these people that collect UFO books, you know, and they've got bookshelves full of them. This this right. is literally, this is the last chapter you know, you can talk about them, photograph them, film them, analyze them. You can do all of that, but you need a piece of one. Yeah. You know, that's that right. that's that's it. That's the holy grail. So I'm hoping this book will do very well um, when it's out. We, we, we're at the point now where we're just kind of tidying it up, ready for release. Knowing Philip, it'll be out in July. <laughs> <laughs> it's already ready already. Let's go. Well, he gets excited, you know. Yeah. He's like, oh, forget it. We'll put it out anyway. The, I mean, the King Arthur book was out in October last year, and the official release date was the 1st of February this year. Wow. <laughs> so it was out for Christmas. That's right. Um, Man, that's so cool. I can't wait to get – I'm going to get – I'm definitely going to get uh, the King Arthur one. I can't wait for that. And when you were talking about the, the Gnostics thing – Oh, I, yeah. I'm working I, on that at the moment. I became yeah. so um, – fascinated by the gnostics i don't know seven or eight years ago for i bought a bunch of books i started understanding a little bit of how they wrote and yeah like, and like that sort of stuff makes sense but like the re, you know and then like constantine didn't keep half the crap that was in the bible and like, yeah. yeah but when you well, go and you read those 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 gnostic texts you know like jesus is flying around like a superhero you know so <laughs> yeah like, let's he's take that dematerializing and materializing somewhere yeah. else and he's doing all sorts of stuff yeah um, yeah, I'm going to sort of explain all of that, I think, and make okay. sense of it. And uh, I mean, it was so much material coming out because because I, I, I've followed it as a theme for so long. Uh, academically speaking now, especially with the Internet and, you know, translations coming out of different things, there's tons of stuff, tons yeah. that wasn't around when I started, you know, doing this. Because you've got the whole of the Dead Sea Scrolls, whole of the Nag Hammondi Library. You've got Old Testament Apocrypha, New Testament Apoc Apocrypha, individual Gospels. Yeah. Um, archaeologically, I mean, they've just recently found, I think it was last year, they found an inscription um, on Hezekiah's tunnel in Jerusalem. And it's yeah. it's scratched into the rock. Um, which basically is the same bit about Hezekiah that you find in the Old Testament. So it's something like wow. 750 BC. That's the oldest biblical inscription ever, you know, yeah. and, and it matches. So there's things like that that need, you know, uh, bringing out. They need Absolutely. people need to be told what the oldest stuff is and where they can find it and and what that means for us, you know. Um, yeah. And there's so much nonsense, you know. I mean, I, I was chewing my knuckles off at 
you know, Da Vinci Code and oh, yeah. all that, you know, <laughs> Tomb of Christ, you know, Blood of the Saviour, Bloodline of Christ, you know. And, the, yeah. and I'm just, you know, shaking my head in disbelief at some of this because I know where it's coming from, you know, and yeah. or not as the case may be. I'm not going to say who it is, but there is one author out there who's particularly famous for dealing with Grail material. So okay. we're back with the King Arthur material again. And he annoys the hell out of me because he says <laughs> things like, you know, oh, the Jacobite princes of Bavaria have this in their private library, you know, and I'm like, well, what's that to me how can i go and check that you know right. he may as well have said that he'd made it up because there's no way of checking it yeah uh, and he's a beggar for doing it and he's got some big thick books and they're absolutely yeah. full of nonsense <laughs> <laughs> they're absolutely full of nonsense yeah yeah there's a lot of nonsense out there and that's the i think that's as just your average consumer of, of things like this that yeah like, you if somebody writes it convincingly enough you're just like cool all right, you know, like, but well, you don't know how, a, how to back it to, up. You need to differentiate between theories. I mean, I'm not shooting theories. I'm not knocking theories because theories can lead to, you know, proper conclusions. At the end of the day, you can end up with archaeology backing it up. Um, so, but a lot of it is just theories. And then, uh, because I am a gnostic, I'm very like, you know, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, then it's a duck. You know, I'm very right. matter of fact. That's basically what gnostics are. Yeah. And I look at some of this stuff and I think, do you know what? It doesn't matter if somebody in 1700 AD wrote something down and said, well, you know, my Jacobite ancestors, you know, hid the grail in wherever. Yeah. If there's a shipping receipt from like 1000 that says it went to Spain right. and then, you know, you go back further and the Bible's telling you that the Romans took things, you know, they stole things. And, you know, you, by the time you get all the way back, you can piece together the story, Absolutely. but you have to go back to the beginning. That's the key with the Arthur book. We, you know, the, the older the sources, the more, yeah. the more accurately you're likely to be able to reconstruct the story. Um, so there's none. I mean, you know, if you're a big fan of all the shiny knights in armor and rescuing Guinevere from dragons and all that nonsense, then don't don't buy the book. <laughs> there's none of that. There's none of that in it. It's it's brutally uh, brutally realistic in parts. You did so, talk yeah. about on a, another show. You talked about where the uh, where Camelot was, and you said it was Chester. Was it Chester? Mm -hmm. And so and that and the way it seemed like you were ma it makes sense because it was like the biggest. Was it the a Roman? Uh, oh yeah 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 it, that well that that's that's the shoot it's the duck thing actually it's that coming into play again yeah because you've got the british isles i mean we're an island yeah right. so it's only so big you know you've got land's end to john o'groats that's it that's the british british isles so if somebody's saying in the british isles is camelot then the obvious thing to do is look for the biggest you know strongest badass candidate for camelot that yeah. happens to still be there with all its buildings around about 500 AD. And guess what? There's Chester. And it's in yeah. absolutely the right place. It's exactly where the Welsh legends tell you Camelot is. You know, so it's like, well, why would anybody go looking for it anywhere else? You know, I mean, and, and it's there 11 it acres bigger than any other Roman fort ever built. Wow. So... You know, go and have a look at Constantinople, go and have a look, you know, in North Africa at the big forts over there, mm -hmm. Germany, the Rhineland, you go wherever you like, you will not find one as big outside of Rome itself as this one. Okay. It's the biggest one. And it's got a massive palace. It's got an enormous elliptical building, which is the Tablierum Rotundus, the round table. It's got the biggest military Principia with all the supply bases attached to it. Uh, it's got a giant amphitheatre, the biggest one in the UK, where the original British um, Christians were martyred. Uh, it's got a huge circuit of walls, most of which are still standing. You know, it's it's just phenomenal. Uh, and the guy that really put me onto this, this is what makes me laugh. Um, there's there's a chap who's been the um, the city archaeologist now for just over 40-odd years. And when we were doing Lost Treasures, the TV series, he took me on one side and he said, look, he said, you can't tell anybody where you got this information from because I'll lose me job. He said, but <laughs> guess what? And then he just launched into this. He said, you need to get all my archaeological publications, he said, because the evidence is in there. He said, it's published, it's official, it's out there, you know, proper academic material, which I did, dashed out and bought it all. Right. Um, and there's some photographs of some of the stuff that's been found in the book, actually oh, cool. in the, the Arthurian book. But by the time you toss it all up and you look at where it was and what it was and all, there's just no other candidate. It's yeah. a complete no-brainer. 
I love it. I love that. I think that's awesome. That's super cool. And I, I love that. It, like that there's literally evidence like right in front of your face. Yeah. This is it. This makes sense. Yeah. This is the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, they did. I mean, politically, the Normans kind of shifted the whole lot down south because they wanted to. So there was there was a definite conscientious attempt in medieval times to say, don't look at that. Go and look at this. Um, and it's still going on now because in this country, the north and south are, are, are different. It, there's a divide between those two zones. Okay. Um, and basically, the south wanted everything. They wanted everything down where London is. So you end up with Tintagel and Glastonbury and all this, that and the other. But it's just not true because for the first thousand years, going from like zero up to a thousand AD, it was all up here. It was all up here in the north. Uh, so Robin Hood, the Ninth Legion, all, all those books that I've written – are northern you know they are there's no doubt about it um in fact it's referred to as the hen ogled in welsh which means the old north so if you're um if you're into the old north this is okay. where it is if you watch the um what's it called now it's uh that series that's um the lost kingdom it's called the lost kingdom and it's got utrid the uh saxon stroke viking in yeah. it um i think it's on it's on sky something or other uh but if you watch that it's all set up here and it's it's okay. historically accurate it's bernard cornwell writing it and he's he's brilliant he does his research you know spot on so uh go and find that the lost kingdom the lost kingdom um, i'm right the lost down. kingdom the uh it's, what do you think this is totally off but you said the word saxon hmm? again and what do you think about the band saxon <laughs> oh fantastic <laughs> i know right <laughs> i used to know biff byford years ago the lead singer because yeah. he's yeah, I think it was. Uh, I think he's a. Uh, I thought he was from. I think it was from Birmingham. Was it Brummie or somewhere? Or is it Sheffield? No, I think it. I mean, you're taxing my memory now. But I know his his wife used to own a hairdresser, and he used to run the band's office out of the room over the hairdressers. Oh, but when you when you know the big hair that they used to have, Saxon, you know, oh, in yeah. the the eighties when it was all perms and all that, you know, it oh, used yeah. to make me laugh that his wife was a hairdresser. Um, but you know, <laughs> yeah, brilliant, absolutely superb yeah, band. I love it. When I came over there, the the two I've only been uh, on that side of the pond t- twice, two thousand nine, two thousand eleven, uh, both for both touring. But every club we hit. There's a Saxon poster, and it was a flyer oh, yeah. because oh, they yeah. play they yeah. play all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, they've been off the road a bit, sort of oh, recently because they're all old. Okay. I mean, they're all right. old, you know. But sure. but they do still tour. They do still yeah. go on tour, so you can come come over here and see them again if you wish. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's great. I run, I went to um, I was in Tilburg, and I went to O thirteen and ran into all the guys from Creator and watched just Creator like murder it and then hung out with all the guys afterwards and, it was, and then me and all the guys from king's x were all drunk leaving and i'll never forget because we were, we left after hanging out with creator we've got our arms all wrapped around each other mm-hmm. like just walking down the street a bunch of drunk americans singing the bgs tune you know you can't tell by the way i do my wife oh yeah as you loud as we can <laughs> if you google it there's a heavy metal version of that out there you know is there's there? heavy metal bgs yeah it's a german band that have done it it's absolutely phenomenal uh there's one for the bgs and i think there's another one for abba so oh, if cool. you go heavy metal abba or heavy metal bgs it's fantastic absolutely phenomenal i love absolutely metal. brilliant i must well, say the band i'm in now wolf the one that uh, is a tribute to the 70s uh and the 80s we do wheels of steel by oh, saxon cool. Yeah, we actually do it. The only nice. snag is we don't know when to stop because it just goes on forever. But right. just like yeah. kind of look at each other. Yeah, it's like, do, do you want to do another bit? Yeah, should we do another bit? Yeah, go on then. We'll do another bit. Let's keep we go again. That's cool. Um, where can I check out Wolf? Um, the only place that anybody's going to find anything, uh, unfortunately, will be on my Facebook. Okay. Um, the reason for that is that we we did go with. Um, a site for downloads that now no longer operates so okay. one of the live gigs we did which we we put up which was great it just it vanished but if you want to keep on top of what wolf are doing as a band and get to see clips of us and all that sort of stuff it'll be on facebook everything just gets bombarded onto there so go go check it out um find me on facebook which i believe you did yeah, very recently i did yesterday yeah, you are now a friend. <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you for thank you for adding me. I was driving yeah. home. I had a had a seven hour drive to the house yesterday oh. from where I was working, and um, it was great because I got to absorb all these podcasts and find out hey. all these things. And you'd said on a podcast, just yeah. contact me on Messenger, and I was like, yeah, yeah. I pulled over, I got some gas, and I, while I was getting gas, I typed in your name, bam, 
There you go. There Friends. you go. Well, it's the only two places you can find me, as a rule, is Facebook and mm -hmm. Amazon. If, if you go to Amazon for buying stuff and then Facebook for just contacting me and keeping in touch. I like to keep it simple. You know, I don't do thousands of different kinds of media. It's just not me. I wouldn't have okay. the time anyway. <laughs> right. Back to right. an earlier conversation. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Dude, this has been fantastic. I hope that uh, you've enjoyed yourself because I certainly have. And I would love to have you on again. And I know we're going to see each other yeah. again shortly on another uh, expanding reality. Yeah, um, he has plans. He has plans. I think Sean's coming yeah. back. We had done yeah. one with Sean before. I don't, And I think I think Brandon didn't use it. I think he said something was wrong with somebody's audio or maybe it was my uh, audio. I don't remember. But it's OK because we'll get to redo it and it'll be. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And I'm super excited. Everybody, this has been Mark Ollie on the 13. I'm your host, Ryan 13. Thank you so much. We'll see you all again on the next one. See you soon.